from the I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more from just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com. You know, you'd think that people wouldn't want to talk to you about this, but I think because we weren't journalists, because we were playwrights, that there was an openness to that. And I really, really appreciated that. You know, I found it very... Uh, heartwarming for people to want to share their stories and not feel like it was a burden, you know. <laughs> well, we, we found that it was very ripe for humour, you know, that kind of satire or that kind of joke, you know, what if this happened and this happened and then suddenly we're making jokes about Michael Collins uh, ending, you know, World War Two quicker because of his guerrilla war techniques and, uh, you know, fighting for the British Empire where, you know, De Valera, you know, joining the Nazi party. And progression that has happened in the last few years, it's all happened because of grassroots organizations and, and people, everyday people just pushing for these things. And then at some point, the politicians jump on the bandwagon. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Elaine Ingram, and that was the voice of Warren Point playwright, director and filmmaker, Oshin Kearney. You may know him from the TV show, My Left Nut, or you'll have heard some of his sketches on Soft Border Patrol. Oshin has a fantastic um, new play running in the Lyric Theatre right now called The Border Game. And today he tells us all about that and a whole lot more besides. Hi, Ashley. Hello. Can you hear me? I can, How are you? Brilliant. How are you? Too bad, eh? It's been a bit of a. First of all, a huge congratulations on on my, left, on my left nut winning um, the awards, and uh, as well as that, obviously, uh, border game, um, starting your your this show starting at the lyric, uh, and, and and I was at. Luckily enough, I saw it the other night and. Um, there was absolutely no hesitation with everybody giving it a standing ovation straight away. It was, everybody just stood up at the end. It was absolutely brilliant. I know, really happy with how everything's gone and had a really busy and uh, eventful week last week. So, yeah, it was just great to see the audience reaction to the to the play. And I hope that the, hope that the audience is to come enjoy it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it definitely deserves to get audiences in there and it's, it's lovely to be back in the theatre for starters but um, yeah. it really is it really is well worth seeing and it's a collaboration between you you and, and Michael Patrick you that's right yeah who I suppose and um, you were telling me earlier that he could join us because he's to babysit so all the glitz and glamour that we all think you know when you're at winning awards and everything <laughs> reality <Exactly>. bites <laughs> no you have to you have to make sure you're keeping up with family as well don't you yeah <laughs> but he couldn't do it tonight unfortunately but yeah. he, he sends his uh, thanks for coming and your kind words. Yeah, no, I really thought it was great. But we'll get back to that um, later on. I suppose we could just start off with um, you. I mean, you're, where did you, I mean, you're from Warren Point and yep. um, I, you went to the college, did you? you I did, I went to St. Coleman's, yeah. Went to St. Coleman's, yeah. yeah. And how did you, how did you get involved in writing and directing in the first place? I mean, what was your, where did it come from your family or? Um, well, you know, 
mum and dad and uh, three brothers as well. Like we would have all, um, you know, would have encouraged each other, uh, especially with making music, and then also with uh, the Donald and Brendan were great at the sport as well, and then you know just doing a bit of. Uh, drama and plays and things. We we all were members of New Point Youth. Oh, you were. Uh, My daughter was th- did that this year. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's it's fantastic, and um, I'm glad to see that through COVID, uh, it's still managed. They're still managing to figure out ways to get uh, yeah. the young ones together and in in a safe way. Um, so yeah, we all went through that, and uh, that was started by Sean Hollywood, obviously, and yeah. um, that was kind of the start of um. Yeah, I love of storytelling, I guess, and a love of drama. And uh, did all that through school. Also did, like, school plays and things. And then I went off and studied in England, um, studied politics. I was going uh, to ask you, I was going to say, you had to have politics, you had to have studied politics somewhere along the, along the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, think, I think sometimes growing up where we're from, it's, you know, you you almost that's it that's a degree in politics in itself you know so uh, you can't really escape it um but that was sort of kind of was interested in politics and uh flirted with the idea of uh, journalism and things like that and then just you know on the side just started doing some directing and and writing and kind of that's where it all started and just kept 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 that up really until it became almost a full-time job yeah and you met Michael Patrick in 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 Cambridge. Is that that's where you went to university? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So when I was in and second, is that his real yeah. name? <laughs> so his real name is Michael. That, Michael Patrick is his stage name. Yeah, yes. two, okay. two first names. But his his real name is Michael Campbell. Yeah. Um. But I think for you know a lot of actors because Mick is a is a primarily an actor. Yeah. Uh, a lot of actors you need to find a name that is you, that can register as your own so that you can credit yourself that way and I think there was another Michael Campbell already yeah um so hence Michael Patrick was born so the two of you obviously hit it off straight away I mean you have a very um unique um sense of humor the way you write and everything I mean that must there has to be a naturalness to that that you must bounce I mean it's very python-esque and you know even South Park and that type of thing in there, you know. Yeah. You must obviously. I'd say, I'd say, nights out with you must have been some crack. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, we definitely we we, we hit it off when we first met, and um, he was what drew us together. I suppose was we were uh, running the Ireland Society together. So whenever you're in in England, you kind of gravitate towards other people, other Irish people, and we ran the society together, which was essentially just a you know, it's just a front for, you know, arranging meals and like going out for drinks and things. Yeah. Under the guise of culture. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> That's Irish yeah, culture. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, then he started uh, doing a bit more acting and I, I was directing and I, I directed him in a few plays. And we sort of we formed a relationship as a kind of a, you know, a creative partnership of actor and director. Um, but it was only after university i came back to belfast he went to london for a bit and then he came back and i think then we started to make shows together as director and actor again but then it was only a few days a few years later that we did our first play my left nut and that was actually the first thing we had written together 
And that was autobiographical for, for him, was it? it or was, semi, yeah. semi autobiographical. And he acted. Is it true that he said to you, um, you formed a company then? And he said, like, will you write something for me? Because I have no jobs. That was, yeah, that was <laughs> it. I mean, uh, you know, he, he basically uh, he applied for this scheme called Showing a Bag, which is run by Fishamble, uh, yeah. new play company in Dublin. And uh, yeah, he didn't have any work at the time. So, you know, an actor needs to make their own work. So, yeah, he, he had this story that he we went to the pub and he, he told me the story of what happened to him when he was 15 years old, which is essentially his testicles swole up um, yeah. to the size of a Coke can. And uh, it was this thing called a hydrocele, uh, which essentially it's I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it's to build up a fluid caused by a defective absorbing membrane. Uh, but he was terrified at the time, you know, he thought it was something really malignant. He thought it was dangerous. And and actually the way he told, told the story, like it was so funny. I was kind of almost on the ground laughing, but also it was clear that whatever was going on with him related deeply to his the loss of his father. Yeah. He, lost his, he lost his dad when he was eight years old. And it was just a really beautiful uh, you know, almost ready-made story that, uh, yeah, he asked me to help him to script it. And that's sort of where we where we started off. We just played with ideas. He would write a bit and then we'd bring it into the room and play with it and uh, eventually get it down on paper. Yeah, and it did really well at the Fringe. Um, it did, yeah. People really were receptive to it. It did really well in Belfast and in Dublin Fringe. And then uh, we yeah. took to Edinburgh Fringe and people loved it as well, yeah. And then it was adapted, like it was adapted for the BBC for, for um, so anybody who hasn't seen it, I mean, I've seen it and it really is fantastic. It's got that lovely mixture of, it's actually quite refreshing to see, you know, this coming of age sort of story from the, the boy's perspective. And it's, I'll tell you, it's warts and all, like it really is. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but things like that, like it's a, there's a really strong, important message, especially for men's health and, you know, to for, for young boys and, and to see, what it's like going through puberty and that age because you do see quite a lot of you know stuff about young girls growing up but not so much boys I mean I know there's Adrian Mole and that that kind of thing mm. but um and it was a mixture of being like funny and just teens and you know the the usual drama but also that um that poignant story of um of him not having a father figure there that he could speak to mm. and re relate to well, I think, yeah, for us, it was really important that uh, first and foremost, it was about uh, a young man growing up and with without a, a father figure or without a, an influence that could sort of steer, steer, steer you, you know, how to, how to be a man. Because I think that uh, if this was around the, the conversations of toxic masculinity and that's yeah. all still very relevant today as, as we, you know, sort of gender politics is, is shifting and uh, I suppose it was our contribution to, um, how you know how how it is for a young boy growing up in this place and the sensitivity of young men. Yeah. That that you know we don't feel that maybe we can talk about uh, certain things, but we're just as sensitive and we just need to give language to that. And I think that uh, Mick's story was perfect for that, and it's got all of that you know stupid silly teenage humor, like and and a very uh, a scene that uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. he actually shared like very personal details with me uh, but there's a scene in there which is essentially 
a first attempt at masturbation. And, <laughs> and yes, it's all a bit of fun, but it really. Oh, we, yeah, we really, that, that we, scene, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> but it's done, I think we do it in a very playful way. And, there's, you know, there's nothing shown or, you know, it's all it's no. all tasteful. But I think it, it's trying to show, OK, so this is something funny that we don't really talk about. But then in the midst of that is something serious that, you know, you could find something down there that you don't know what it is. And it's very yeah. scary and it could actually you know could be could save your life to just speak to someone about that and not be afraid to talk about medical issues or or emotional issues that you might be having yeah yeah no i really I, yeah it is well we're checking out anybody can see it on on bbc and you just won an award for it as well so that's that's brilliant um and then like the the next thing you did and um, we did the well i want to talk about the alternative Sure. That yes, yeah. that's uh, now that's a really interesting premise, because um, if you if you want to explain, I know you the timeline starts in um, in 1912, mm -hmm. and it's a an alternative where there's no border. Yeah. So the and you 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 maintain that Ireland would become um well it still belongs to the UK belongs to Britain so Irish uh, mm -hmm. Ireland obviously. You know, all the names of the streets, Sackville Street and everything is still still as it was, red, red um letterboxes and the whole lot. Exactly, yeah. But you also was... you also you also think that um that Britain because Ireland would be part of the Commonwealth and stuff like that, that we'd have like, you know, <laughs> we'd have GAA World Cups and things like that. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was all a bit of crack. I mean, that was uh, very much because of a company, Fishamble, who were yeah. really supportive of uh, My Left Not as well. Um, they held this A Player for Ireland initiative, which was essentially they made a call out for playwrights to submit ideas uh, to sort of uh, have a state of the nation play or something that was that Irish audiences would, would want to see um, at that time. And that was 2018, 2019. So for us, you know, it was very hard not to write something that would was a reaction to what was going on politically. You know, Brexit was kicking off then and the uncertainties around that, but also the Scottish independence referendum as well. Um, so, so the alternative was an idea that what if Ireland had never left the United Kingdom? What if the, uh, the third Home Rule Bill had been passed and... Uh, could the course of Ireland have gone in a very different direction that would have avoided things like partition and um, would have avoided things like the supremacy of the Catholic church uh, in, in the Irish state. And therefore what kind of social policies would be different? How would society have changed? Uh, and then that comes down to very, you know, very specific things like you've mentioned, like red letter boxes or, um, you know, what parties would be, uh, you know, would it be the Conservatives and, and Labour or would you have, would Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil not even exist if the Civil War hadn't happened? Yeah, I suppose they wouldn't. Uh, yeah, so yeah. It's, it, it was, we went, once we sort of came up with the idea, we were like really excited about it and the rabbit hole went deep. I was going to say, when you start having <laughs> branches of, but if this, what, then there's like if, a yeah. knock-on effect, the knock-on effect. So it's like the butterfly effect, basically, yeah. you know, where it's like, so that could go on forever. So I suppose you have yeah. to have some point where you say, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we found that it was very ripe for humor, you know, that kind of satire or that kind of joke, you know, what if this happened and this happened and then suddenly we're making jokes about 
Michael Collins uh, ending, you know, World War Two quicker because of his guerrilla war techniques and, uh, you know, fighting for the British Empire or, you know, De Valera, you know, joining the Nazi party and stuff like that. And it, just things to really twist the knife into uh, kind of contemporary debate around Irish politics and what we did find was that, you know, if, if 1916 Easter Rising had never happened uh, or if it would have happened, it wouldn't have been on the same scale because independence would already have been achieved in a, in a sense uh, within, the, uh, within the United Kingdom, within the Commonwealth. Then people like Podrick Pierce wouldn't have been held up as these great figures. They would have just been, you know, another footnote in history. And just playing with those ideas of like who is important and what events we 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 take as really important events that for that shape our culture that was just very playful and allowed us to you know get into the nitty-gritty of how politics changes places and and, and how we vote and i suppose the question was like you know we were all looking at scotland kind of thinking oh, how, how's the independence referendum going to go how did the english people vote for brexit but if something had happened differently in our history maybe irish people wouldn't be the same as we are now and, and maybe we wouldn't vote the way that we think we would you know yeah. so it's just kind of lots of playful concepts and at the end of the day it was it was all a bit of crack and uh, I think the audiences really liked it yeah uh, which is great you know we the Cork audience was fantastic because there's so many, jibes about, <laughs> <laughs> so many jives about Cork being the royal city and all that and oh, like, yeah. they really, they, they, really the real it, capital so. of Ireland and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose you were influenced by um, people, I don't know, like Philip Roth, and um, he's written um, mm. about that. And um, there's other there's other things about uh, the obvious one about when if, if Hitler had have won the war, if the Nazis yeah. had won the war. And Fatherland. Fatherland, Fatherland was, yeah. Yeah, Robert Harris, yeah. Um, that was great. And there's a very, there's just a really great opening sequence to Fatherland, the film, where it's sort of, just does an archive kind of timeline of everything that's different that's changed. That was definitely an influence on us. How do you, how do you tell a hundred years of fake history? You know, yeah, and get people to buy into it and that world building. That was really, but yeah, but yeah. but you have you have like you can do what you like really because you can take it whatever direction you see fit. You know, as well as that, so you do have that freedom when you're creating exactly. alternative history. I suppose yeah. you know. Yeah. And speaking of yeah. film, then you um, you're. Um, film debut, debut. I mean, took you away from Ireland because uh, it what's it called? I can't pronounce it now. Bojaya. Uh, Bojaya. Bojaya. I knew I knew it wasn't going to be a, a, a pronounceable J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, no, so that's, that's a, Yeah, Colombia. Yeah, it's a it's a small uh, area department in uh, a region of Chocó in Colombia, so it's this kind of. Uh, you know, jungle area that is very much forgotten within the country of Colombia, never mind internationally. But uh, there in 2002, um, they had basically one of the worst atrocities of the Colombian conflict um, when uh, a church full of civilians was caught in the crossfire between the FARC guerrillas and the uh, right wing paramilitaries and just, you know, over a hundred people were killed and it's just an atrocity that kind of marks yeah. the the cost the human cost of war and the fight over resources so it was uh yeah it was it was something 
that obviously was very different to anything uh, be making in Ireland, but uh, still the kind of the the conflict and the way that sort of these conflicts kind of become repetitious and just keep going on and on and on was something that drew me to that to that story. Yeah, yeah. I made a lot of connections with it. Sort of felt very in you know, like felt almost like you know the Oma bomb of Colombia in a way. It's just totally yeah. unjustified and totally you know just so sad an event. Um. It's the story of the survivor, was it? It, it was a, a survivor's his story. Yeah. A lot of his family died. Well, his name's Lainer Palacios, and he's yeah. a social activist. And look, he's a Nobel a Peace Prize winner too, isn't he? Yeah, well, he, he he didn't win the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, he, was but he, was, um, he was nominated, and he was given a special mention. the The uh, president of Colombia actually won it, and he like very much used Lehner as as the poster boy. You know, Lehner is a Afro Colombian, very humble man, and uh, he lost thirty two relatives, uh, close relatives in the uh, in that church in that day. And now he's continuing just to fight for some kind of recognition for, you know, rights, because there's victims who never really got any financial, you know, support after that. They also have a lot of psychological and mental health issues. Uh, they have a lot of physical issues, you know, with bits of shrapnel and things that were caught in them. And um, yeah, so there's he's just kind of fighting for the rights of the victims of Bohaya, but also in more general terms, the rights of uh you know, black Colombians in Colombia um, who are very much pushed to the edges and kind of, you know, forgotten about. So it's just a, it, it kind of, the film would told the story of the massacre um, from the viewpoints of the, of the victims, um, but also told his kind of modern day story as the Colombian peace process started to sort of disintegrate around him. Well, how, for you now making a film, what is the difference um is it a lot different doing a film and doing a play? You know, did you find what what did you what, what do you prefer or it depends. It depends really what the subject matter is and kind of what what you know what you kind of want to set out to achieve. Um I think with particularly with documentary, um, you know, you very much you, you have your camera and you turn it on and you talk to a real person and you don't really know where the story's gonna go. Yeah. Um so it's very uh can be very exciting but also can be quite terrifying as well in that sense um whereas i suppose with theater is you know you kind of have control of that and it's you know it's quite a, i think theater is a very safe space to you know explore certain issues um because you can have time to craft what the play is and what it's saying and people coming into that space to to engage with it whereas i think film is a bit riskier in the sense of um you know, you don't really know what the story's going to be or how it's going to go down, you know. Get ready to shake up summer with the Get Active ABC Sunshine Phil programme for kids and families. Get set for land-based adventure at our summer schemes or why not get adventurous and maybe get wet at our splash-tastic water sports summer programme. There are so many things to do and all we need is you. See getactiveabc.com summer for all the details. And when you're writing a play now, um, 
do you have in your head what way will you when you find the actors or when the actors you know are are, are reading your words do you have in your head what way it's going to sound or would you ever learn from them and say oh god i never thought you know of it in that way or would you have a very specific vision of what, what way you wanted to, you know to come across yeah um i think it's you always have a very clear idea of what what it might sound like but i have to say i never write uh a lot a lot of writers would write with an actor in mind and i've never really done that it's sort of the character kind of appears and then you you can hear the character but of course the character doesn't exist until it's played by an actor so there's a certain stage in the process whereby an actor comes in to the process and starts saying the lines and you can tell sometimes they might say things you're like, oh, that's not quite right because of this, this and this. But sometimes they might be bringing something new and fresh and saying things that you hadn't thought about. And it actually elevates everything or, or clarifies certain things. So it is a collaborative thing. It's it's not like you need to say it like this. It's very much here. Here's the words. And this is an invitation to start finding this character, because at the end of the day, the character is 50 percent of the of the words. Yeah. and 50 percent of the performance so uh yes yeah, just finding that that kind of marrying those two together um but we were really lucky on the border game to get two fantastic actors oh my god they were absolutely own. brilliant yeah, yeah they were really great yeah patrick McCarty and liz fitzgibbon yeah liz fitzgibbon and patrick yeah and um yeah they really did bring it to life and um and the collaboration as well with you and michael Mm-hmm. Um, when you're writing, do you bounce off each other or do you just bring each other? Do, do both of you bring different things to the table or what way does that, does that work? Or is that just depend on what it is? It, I suppose it depends. Um, I mean, we definitely, we the way we write together kind of changes. Sometimes we, we do a lot of Zoom calls. So we've been on Zoom a lot over lockdown uh, to the point where, you know, we just associate each other's faces with, work you know getting up and doing your work um so we'll we talk through things quite a lot and have long long conversations about characters or story or plot or or themes and then we might split it up a bit and say okay well i'm going to try and write this scene and you and try and write that scene and then we might swap it and look at what we've done and, and sort of tweak it again or then we may have a Google Docs document over and actually both be writing on the same document and almost writing over each other. Okay, because it doesn't feel like two different writers. It feels like, well, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like... Well, that's good. That's good. good. Yeah. 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 I think it's we do have a a common uh, sense of humour and a common sense of what is interesting dramatically and theatrically. So we kind of challenge each other on that. And some days... uh, you know, one of us might take the lead, the other might take a back seat or and vice versa. But it's very much about always pushing it to be entertaining and uh, and to work for an audience. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly border game is definitely that. It's um it's very it's very wordy as well. I mean, there's a there's an awful lot of words in that play. I mean, because mm. it's so much dialogue. I mean mm-hmm. and the jokes, because you have to know that a joke's gonna hit. And that's all about timing. I suppose that comes down to your actors as well. And their timing was just impeccable. Mm-hmm. You know, with the punchline has to be just right. But yeah. um, the, the the wonderful, the, the thing I loved about it, well, one of the things I loved about it was that it's such a, it was, you know, it's obviously satirical uh, and it's obviously really funny. 
but it's also obviously it's also very very hard hitting and especially the second half of the play it's definitely um saying a lot because it is all about the border and you know the effect mm. of the 100 years that the border has had on people and society and relationships and everything so it's a it's sending a very strong message but in a not a heavy-handed way if you know what i mean because that that was what i loved about it was that it wasn't if you had just gone in there heavy-handed from the start i don't think it would have worked but it was the mm. fact that all that humor and the and the normal stuff was in there as well you know yeah no yeah. Th thanks very much you think that is important because you know it's it's it is a very tough subject matter and it does require you to go to those dark places uh but you know we we didn't want to just go here's 100 years of the border and let's tell stories that you know are really sad and you know you need to kind of show the light of it as well and and the humor of of living on the border and the, the stories that come out of that and the character traits that people have and just jokes of it and I think by representing that humanity, then you can fully understand how the tragedy of the of the darker stuff and, and access it a bit better. Um, it's yeah, I think that it, that was one thing that uh, whenever Michael and I did a we did sort of a border tour, we went around the border and spoke to. That was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah we spoke to I think I think we keep saying 100 people because it's, it's rounded off, but I think it was around 100 people. We did it. We did about seventy interviews, but some interviews were with full families, and so I think it was about a hundred people. And um, and we got lots of great stories, lots of humorous stories, but every single person gave us a, a nightmare. You know, it was, and it was, it just it was hard. For, and this is even young people who we'd spoken to who did you know who didn't experience it. They were able to say things that happened to their parents or the stories they were told. So it just felt like with this play that we needed to go there, you know, and we needed to just just show and represent the pain that people have felt and that lingers on that borderline. It, you know, it doesn't mean we have to talk about it every day, but just recognize that there's a lot of pain there for people. So what did you just travel? Where did you go? Did you go? What, what places did you go? A lot of places around South Armagh and stuff like that. Yeah. So we, we did the whole thing. We did the whole 310 miles and um, we, we split it up into three trips. Uh, one of them was, um, I'm from Warren Point, so it was sort of South Down, South Armagh, North Louth, uh, kind of all around there, all around Jonesboro and Cross McLean and, and you know, the Coolies and all that. Uh, and then the next trip was uh, kind of Monaghan, Clonus, the Dramulli Pollop, round to the sort of South Fermanagh, uh, Kilkey Mountain and all that. And... Um, you know, we just tried to speak to as many people as possible. From did you just find people, find people, or did you try and arrange to meet people beforehand? It was a mix. It was a mixture. Uh, did a lot of, you know, planned it for a few months and met a lot of people who then said, "Oh, you needed to speak to this person." Um, so planned it to get make sure that we would get a good sort of range of ages and backgrounds and religions and uh, gender and sexuality and things like that and. And then they were able to say, you need to speak to this person or speak to this person. Um, so, yeah, it was great. And, and I have to say, people were extremely forthcoming. What we found was, you know, you'd, you'd think that people wouldn't want to talk to you about this. But I think because we weren't journalists, because we were playwrights, that yeah. it, there was an openness to that. 
and that I really really appreciated that you know I found it very uh, heartwarming for people to want to share their stories and not feel like it was a burden you know um, and then after that we went sort of we did the, the longest trip was a week going from South Fermanagh all sort of West Tyrone up to uh, the city of Derry and then you realize how crazy the border is when you're crossing back and forward and oh, back and forward. Yeah, it's it's. I always knew it was mad, but like when you actually go and see every part of it, it's there's always and Google Maps it. keeps saying changing <laughs> her accent. <laughs> yeah. Google Maps doesn't know what it's talking about. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. It's just yeah. There's there's a road there outside Clonus where you cross the border, as everybody knows probably. But you know when you drive it, you cross the border like seven times and. You just show it just shows you how arbitrary it is, you know, and and going there's I was stood in a man's house and he was lying lying down and the border was going across him, you know, because when he was drinking a glass of wine, you know. So um yeah. Yeah, your work has all been is is very heavily influenced. All of your most things that you've done are very heavily influenced by by the border. And do you think that's because you're actually from from the border town yourself? I suppose that makes and because you're interested in politics, but um, I suppose the effect that it's had on generations, because your actors, you know, they wouldn't have even been born when any of this is going on, and you yourself, I mean, you're, you know, mm. so it is, I interviewed Cathy Brady there recently, she's, um, that's right, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and she spoke about that because the film that she did, Wildfire, is about, um, the way conflict has traveled through generations, intergenerational mm. trauma and stuff like that, so, I suppose it's quite a similar thing in what you found. Yeah, I think um, the border's always uh, had an impact. I think it's had an impact on anybody who's grown up around it, you know, and I think that uh, I hadn't really thought about what that impact might be. Um, and, you know, just as I was writing and making making things, and it's pretty much everything, you know, it all, it all comes back to your own personal experience growing up. But I suppose what has driven me to start you know making stuff about the border is the fact that it's been in the news so much Do you know the last five years has been border 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 you know and it's it's very hard not to make something whenever the whole world is talking about it and yet i don't think they really understand it either you know i don't think yeah. people who live along the border understand it you know so it's it was trying to trying to speak to people and arrange my own thoughts on the border. That sort of was the main thrust. And hopefully, uh, hopefully the border game, the play will, you know, just give people a bit of context and a bit of understanding of those things that happened. And, you know, the, things like the roads being closed, you know, I know that it's kind of known about, but I feel like it's also, you know, when I was talking to Michael about it, you know, the focus of kind of what happened over the last 40, 50 years has been sort of in the cities, but rarely whenever you close a road, you're not just cutting off one side from the other, you're you're cutting off entire counties from each other, you know, so yeah. that they, these communities can't even go to the pub, you know, together or, you know, and that, that has a huge impact. Uh, the, the effects it had in North Leitrim and South Fermanagh, I didn't know any of that and I felt so ashamed that it, I didn't know that stuff. Um, and I had to go looking for it by, you know, driving around and speaking to people. But I think it's good to just remind ourselves of like the effects of of borders and hard borders and, you know, conflict and what that actually does to communities. It, it takes those hearts and souls out of them. So 
um yeah I, I don't i think it's good to remember these things and for me as a young person who only vaguely remembers things like british soldiers and and bombs and things like that that it's it still was a real thing for me and i just want to remind myself that it was real and it's not just some some fairy tale that you know we're talking about here and uh, I think further, the two characters, Henry and Shania, they're kind of processing that as well. You know, that their lives have gone a certain direction and things are hard for them. And some of that has a root cause in where they grew up and where they're from. Yeah, and the fact that they're from both sides of the fence, pretty much mm-hmm. literally. And um, even the names are telling, you know, um, Sinead and Henry, you know, obviously. But um, so they, you know, it. it the struggles that they had in their own relationship because of all of that as well. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is it stems, you know, stems from the border. But um yeah, so yeah, because all of your work, you know, has I was listening to <laughs> I was telling you earlier that I was listening to this one time on the border. And that's 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 a really hilarious take on all on of the um the true history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah of the that's the really, the really Ulster comedy series yeah yeah that's really um, yeah yeah well, that was basically that was because we collected all these stories and um, there were too many to use in the play yeah obviously and uh so so luckily the radio radio Ulster um said they were looking for sort of something to talk about the border and but in a very funny and silly way yeah. So we were delighted because yeah. like the, there's so many silly the stories Protestant, the of, Protestant tray bakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, smuggling the, them over during for the mouth. The, the bad Thursday agreement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's good because we just do silly things, you know, and make really funny characters and jokes out of you know things, you know. But do you th- and do you think like it's the same as in um, in Border Game, uh, a lot of the humor and a lot of the jokes, there's even a bottle of book fast sitting on the stage. Um a lot yeah. of it is very localized. Do you think that you kind of have to be from here to get a lot of the stuff? You know, I don't know how I don't know how well anything like that would translate because the people would be scratching their heads and not having they'd miss a lot of the jokes. I suppose they, yeah. the general theme would be understood, but there's so many mm. things in there that are just so um, local. Mm. Yeah, I, I I was thinking about this. Um, I think w- with with the alternative when we wrote that, I think that it was of a very certain sort of time and I think probably would be even dated now and I think is a very Irish play because you need to know about Irish history to get the jokes um, but I think with this play although it is really local and specific um, there, there's been quite a few English people in to see the play and they've all I mean maybe maybe not all of them because I haven't spoken to every English person who's seen it but I was struck by how affected by it they were almost I think almost more so because they kind of know the story but then this kind of told them a bit more about things that they didn't know happened and I think that you know you know with Brexit and the border being all the news that I feel like English people maybe have an interest in the border now more than they might have had before or they might be open to learning a bit more about it because they want to know why it why it's such a big deal you know well, that's one uh, thing Brexit has done is that they hadn't got, I think a lot of English people, and we, we know this from a lot of the news that came out at the time, was that they were just so 
clueless. But I mean, in fairness, mm. as you said yourself, there's so much stuff that we don't even know. We're from here. So, you know, we kind of mm. people living over in England who have their own lives and are getting on with things. I suppose why would they? But now they, they kind of have to more. Mm. You know, they have more interest, I would think. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, that seems to be there was a, a technical manager on the show, Pete, who was responsible for kind of looking at the technical things around the fence. And, and uh, he he said very honestly to me, he said it was great. Like he he really learned a lot from it and it really got him emotionally. And I think because the play tries to go beyond politics in the sense of it's this is about two human beings who are in a yeah. situation that you can empathize with both of them rather than being, you know, judgmental about their where they sit on the political spectrum in yeah. a way that you can understand them. And that's the problem with Irish politics is we don't have that understanding. We put, you know, it's in the green and orange camp, but then it's also in right wing and left wing. And then it's also city and rural. And we kind of put each other as outsiders and we, we don't say, oh, you know, I'm not going to actually talk to this uh, DUP voter because what what can I ever, you know, what can I actually talk about with them or how can they ever understand me? And the same for, uh, you know, across the whole political spectrum. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the tragedy of it as well is like, you know, how do we make things better like Sinead's trying to do if... It, it's always about the numbers game and it's always about winning the game over the other person. Do you think there's been any improvement over the years? Or do you think there's, well, at the moment, I suppose that's a, a tough question to, to answer because of Brexit and everything else. I mean, do you think things, what way do you think things are going to go? Or do you have any... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the God, $50 million dollar question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think... Um, I think obviously things are better than they were. Um, you know, you know, cross-border initiatives is you know as kind of silly as they were sometimes have have done really important work in the sense of people actually knowing each other and and hanging out with each other and talking to each other. And I think especially along the border in the border areas, uh, the relationships were really good, from what I can see. Um, there's a lot of respect there because they both share that feeling of being on an, on the edge and 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 also kind of live living next to each other. It's you kind of have to get on with things because the reality of it is is you know it's a border area where there's the north and the south and you know people just want the best to, you know they just want what is ever going to give them the best deal. Uh, you know, put a put a few pound in their pocket, give them better phone signal, um, just give them better lives and give their children better lives. And I think people are willing to compromise and negotiate, and they're not waving flags as much. Whereas in more ghettoized urban centres, it's easier to hold on to those old simple narratives of green and orange because there's no incentive to break out of that. Um, and if your neighbor, if you're not neighbors with someone, then you can other them and alienate them. So I think, yeah, there's a long way to go. And I think that it I don't I don't know the answers to it, but I, I do know that it's it's about recognizing that it's hard work and just just keep keep going in the right direction and don't ever be complacent uh, about where, where we've gotten to, because as we know, like things can slip so easily and 
it just takes uh, a matter of months and, and a few people to really pull you down into something you don't want to be in. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what yeah. the next few years hold, but they do seem to hold something that's going to happen. There's there's changes happening and there's very hard, difficult conversations that need to happen. And I think we all just need to, you know, open up and be respectful of each other, even if we disagree. Yeah, and I definitely think with our young people, um, you know, over the years, since there's more, more distance from politics. I mean, I'm actually from Dublin, so I'm not originally from here. But mm-hmm. from what I've seen from my children and everything, their their friends and everything, I think, and especially with more, you know, we've just opened up, the world has opened up, you know, with travel and with the, you know, the internet and everything. I mean, everything is global now. Mm-hmm. So people are not as insulated. And I think young people, a lot more now, kind of couldn't care less. And I know you said in some mm-hmm. areas it is, Bob, but I, I definitely think that for most for the majority of young people, you know, they're not really that interested. As you say, they're interested in having the best phone signal and just getting exactly. on things. So hopefully it won't be the politicians that will put the, you know. Yeah, I think it, I, I, I agree there. I think it's, it's. I don't think any any changes, any meaningful changes that happen, uh, I don't think they're actually going to be led by politicians. I don't think it's going to be a top-down thing. I, I think, uh <laughs> As we saw with things like, um, you know, repeal the eighth uh, or, or or equal marriage, yeah, the, you know, progress progression that has happened in the last few years, it's all happened because of grassroots organisations and and people, everyday people just pushing for these things, and then at some point the politicians jump on the bandwagon, and, you know, I think that any changes that happen in the country. Um, will be the same way. It'll be people kind of making connections north and south, east and west, and um, and recognizing that you know people in their communities uh, maybe don't have their rights met or need to be protected in a certain way, um, or even economically. You know, you know if there's a, a social enterprise or some businesses that that want to club together to make something happen because it'll benefit the town or the, or the village, you know? So I think it'll be small victories like that. So just people trying to make things better together, that'll lead to progress. So you now, what, what, what's, what's next on the cards for you? I am uh, any more comedies. I know you were working on soft border patrol as well. I know you did work on that before as well. So any more, um, Anything funny in the in the pipeline, or <laughs> we're definitely uh, we've got a few comedy ideas that we're banding around, and we we love doing the the sort of silly radio stuff, silly radio sketch stuff. Um, uh, so we'll probably do a bit more of that if if there if it's if it's if there's work, and um, and then yeah, there's a couple of uh, funny plays that we've kind of talked about doing, and. And also just kind of pitching TV fil- t- TV shows and films and things like that. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, there'll always be an element of comedy there. I I, I don't know about you, but I I you know I need to have a laugh. You know, if I'm if I, yeah. I want to be entertained and, and laugh, I don't really want to think about things too harshly or you know try and but be too serious. But it makes more imp- impactful as well. I think you know when you have that mixture, it can be more impactful. You know because then. Yeah. It's more like real life as well. I mean, every day is kind of has its ups and downs and its highs and lows. And 
you know, people make jokes even when they're in the pit of despair. So I think that, uh, yeah, there'll always be comedy there because it's it's just uh, it's too it's too it's too good to lose, you know. So. And it's a very yeah. Irish thing. There was, there's, you just reminded me of one particular scene. I'm not going to tell our listeners because they, I, I hope they go and see the play. But there's one particular scene that involves him, to, um, Henry, telling a quite poignant story about a ring. And um, there's a, a line at the end that Sinead interjects, and I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. You, you could say she ruins the moment <laughs> in a very, in a very Irish way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he was all disappointed because he really, you know, he, yeah. he wanted to tell the climax of the story and yeah, yeah, yeah. a different climax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, I hope um, our listeners do go and, and see and see the play because, yeah, it, it really is very, very, very good. And I suppose having um, success, the success that you've had with the, with the work that you've done so far, you know, that must be helpful for you getting audiences in there and making a name for yourself and, getting more work i suppose well we're just uh so grateful that to, to have been supported you know for, first of all by um uh prime cut productions and uh and the lyric theater and and then also by the audiences who are coming you know it's it's great that people um are, you know are, are coming back to the theater actually and, t- and taking the risk and, and supporting uh the artists of this place because the last 18 months has been a very dark time in the sense of nothing's being made and uh, people whose livelihoods depend on audiences. Um, suddenly now we, we, there might be light at the end of the tunnel and it really does, you know, especially theater, uh, live or die on, on audiences making the journey, you know, and it's, it is a whole evening, I know, like, you know, getting in the car, going to the theater, Usually you might have to have a meal or as well, and you're driving back. It's it's not easy, but I think that um, hopefully the show's good enough, and I know that there's many more great shows in the pipeline, uh, both in the Eric and you know in all the venues in Belfast. So hopefully mm-hmm. the audiences will grow and grow and grow, and we can get back to some kind of new normal territory. With, How difficult you know, was on. it for you um, during COVID in terms of your work? I mean, what, what, you know, you guys must have been completely lost because. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really scary because um, I was about to, I was I did one day uh, on a show in the lyric. It was assistant directing 1984. Did we did the first day, and then the second day we were told not to come in to the theater. And then I think a couple of days later, it was very evident that there was a global pandemic happening, and the theater shut down. And yeah, we didn't know what was happening for many, many months. And it was kind of just everyone kind of on tenterhooks trying to see what was going to happen. Um, so that was very hard. Uh, and then, of course, all the, you know, all, you know, kind of salary or any payment or jobs as they all got cancelled, just completely stopped. Nothing was looking like it was going to happen in the future. Um, but also, I think Michael and I were very lucky because of this play. We we'd gotten this commission and sort of just put her head down and said okay well let, this is something we can work on and uh who knows if it'll ever go on but uh you know at least we can work on this and we managed to get a few other gigs and just kind of uh enough to keep us going and uh and luckily things have started to open up now so that the play did go on so and uh yeah we're just we're just delighted that it's it's actually happened and that we got through it and hopefully 
hopefully the industry will serve you know that things will get better uh, yeah. this is not going to go away overnight there's going to be many structural issues around the way that the, um, the economy works and also the way that the arts community is valued in our society um, that a lot of people have either had to quit their jobs or move away and um, hopefully that that can get addressed so that uh, people can continue making great art and telling great stories because that's kind of you know that's some of the best stuff that's coming out of where we're from and it's it's part yeah, of our I mean, DNA. It is, it is part of our DNA. You're right. And I've spoken to so many people for this podcast and outside of the podcast as well about that, this very thing about the arts and the way the arts needs to be protected and helped. And it really has brought it to light. The whole pandemic has brought to light the way the arts, mm. because they're the last thing to come back. You know, I know people who are musicians. I think you, your brother is a musician, is he? That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I have a lot of friends who are as well. And they've just been just had nothing, no gigs, no nothing. And it's the last thing to come back. And people need to go out and support. Yeah, that's all we yeah, can do is just go and... As long as things are safe and, you know, you can make sure that, you know, you've got your mask or your your vaccine passport or whatever it is and, and just have, have good times in a safe way, I think. It's about trying to support um, our artists and uh, slowly, hopefully, people will be able to build up their livelihoods again and yeah. hopefully people will also have a bit more crack because sitting in your house for 18 months was not not always yeah. the most fun thing to oh, do you yeah. know yeah and the lyric is such a beautiful theater as well it really is it is yeah okay well Ashin, i wish you all the best with the play i hope it goes really well because it deserves to and thanks so much whatever your next venture might be i sure i'll, I'll keep you posted I'm, I'm not too sure myself but uh I'll yeah. uh, get the head down and see what I can do. But uh, yeah, thank, thank you for coming and, and hopefully some of your listeners will come. The show runs until the 23rd of October in the Lyric. So, uh, and I think there's plenty of seats because it's it's all socially distanced as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully people, people feel safe to go, you know. Yeah, and they'll definitely, the jokes and everything in there, I mean, there's, there's a lot of belly laughs, there's a lot of serious stuff. But it's, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks a million, Oshin. Thanks a million, Lynn. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Oshin. Um, and I hope that you try your best to get out and see the border game if you can, because it really is very good and it definitely um, was worth the standing ovation that it got the night that I was there. Remember to keep getting all of your news from Arma Eye, and I hope you join us next time for our podcast. From the... I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the... We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney Competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more. From just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com.